thousand. Father God, we exist for you. Now, in this moment, Father, as every moment we exist for you. Help us remember that as we're listening to your words, as we're anticipating heaven, as we're looking forward to it. Father, clarify um, your truth on this matter, on this wonderful place that you've prepared, that you are preparing for us, Jesus. And I pray that um, because of this lesson, our understanding of heaven would be so clear that we would uh, find it incentive for obedience and for pursuing holiness today in the choices that we make, Father. May our future glory in Christ determine our worship today. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Okay, so let's do a little review from last week, uh, just so we can establish a foundation for our lesson today. Okay, so uh, this is week two. So if you missed last week, this is only week two. And if you want to, you can go online. Our uh, sermon page on our website actually has um, adult Sunday school uh, there as well. So you can look, you can get Dan's sermons. You can also get uh, past Sunday school lessons uh, from Damon, from Matt, and uh, et cetera. So you can also get last week's, um, last week's Sunday school lesson on Heaven Week 1, replacing what we've heard with what God has revealed, replacing what we've heard with what God has revealed about Heaven. And... I'm excited about heaven more increasingly. It's only been two weeks, and I get to study heaven, and I'm, I'm just be, becoming more and more psyched about the, the prospect of going there, being there someday, with you, by the way, uh, with Christ especially as he illuminates glory for us. Last week, um, we discussed the danger of having an un, unclear vision of heaven, the danger of having a distorted view of heaven, and so what were some of the things we brought up about the danger of us um, maybe finding heaven boring, uh, not really understanding what goes on up there, or you know, uh, thinking to ourselves that heaven is unimaginable? You guys recall any of that? What, uh, we, we determined why Hebrews 11 makes sense. Why does Hebrews 11 make sense? We looked at a few different verses from that chapter. You guys remember? Thank you. Why does Hebrews 11 make sense? Why did the saints in the Old Testament do what they did? Sacrifice the way they sacrificed. Their reward was in heaven. They were looking for a better life, the promise of a better life, uh, a better country, a homeland. They knew that this earth was not their home. And they were looking forward to that better country, that better life that was promised to them by God. And so it led them to make great sacrifices, uh, being martyred even. So um, we need to see heaven clearly. We need to want to go to heaven for it to determine what we do today and uh, to lead us to make sacrifices today, right? How are we going to make sacrifices for the Lord if we really don't want to be in heaven where he is. We need to want to be there, and we kind of talked about how we um, have been, how heaven had been described to us when we were children, right? Lots of white, kind of sterile, kind of like a hospital, right? Singing, floating, you know, harps are playing. 
doesn't sound like a place we'd necessarily want to be, you know? But heaven is so far from that, and there's so much more joy there for us to anticipate. So um, let me ask this question, and, and just thinking review again. Is and how um, is heaven linked to the doctrine of God? Is it? Is, is the doctrine of God linked to the doctrine of heaven? Okay, I see a lot of heads, slow heads. Why? How? Heaven is God. So uh, we, we looked at uh, Revelation 21, right, the New Jerusalem, and there are a couple of verses in that chapter that lead us to believe that heaven is not going to be heaven without God. Heaven is not heaven without God because God's glory is illuminating that place, right? The lamp of Christ is there. There's no need for a temple because God is dwelling there with his people. And uh, there is no need for a sun or moon because Christ himself is illuminating it all. He is the light. Very good. Okay. Um, something we also discussed, and I'll, just, I'll end it here in terms of review. Our hearts are made by who? Easy answer. God made our hearts, okay? Along with everything else here, he made our bodies, he made our hearts, he made uh, our desires, right? And so... Um, what we desire, ultimately, whether we realize it or not, is him, right? We, we desire communion with him, perfect communion with him. And we seek to fill it with the things here on earth and we, uh, with hobbies, with people, with experiences. And those things always fall short. And Ecclesiastes showed us that uh, God put eternity into our hearts, so we will not find perfect joy, perfect satisfaction here in this world. We know, ultimately, this is not all that there is. We were made for another home. And Psalm 1611 tells us that, uh, tells us where, where is pleasure found? Where's joy found? In his presence, at his right hand. And that's where we will find satisfaction. But we've got to have a clearer vision We've got to want to be there. We've got to uh, forget what we've heard and what people have said. Forget tradition and culture and all those influences. And let's go to God's word. What does God say about eternity in heaven? Okay, let's start this morning. Let's begin. All right, hold on just a second. Let me find. I'm out of order here. Okay, here we go. Excellent. Sorry about that. I dropped my notes when I was dropping off my kids, and they all kind of spilled on the ground. I just picked them up because, you know, when you're in that hallway over there, you know, after church is over, it's all you can do not to get trampled. So, okay. Um, number one, we're thinking about heaven. Number one is many of our thoughts about the afterlife, if not most of them, center on heaven as it exists now should be your blank right there. Today's discussion um, is going to be kind of a comparison of heaven now versus heaven later. We're going to be talking mostly in the coming weeks about heaven later, uh, the, the future new heaven and new earths, new, new earth, sorry. And so right now we're going to kind of look at the way heaven exists now because uh, I think for the most part our thoughts do exist uh, about heaven 
and what's going on there now. We think of heaven as the place we go when we die. Heaven is the place we go when we die. But we forget heaven is more than that. And it will be more than that. Turn with me to Luke 23. 2343. You guys hot, cold? Okay. Kind of warm in here. you want to punch that down for me? Maybe three degrees. Maybe it's just because I'm loud and I'm talking intensely. Yeah. Okay. Luke 2343. Someone read that for us, please. Go ahead and jump on that real quick. Okay, so Jesus describes heaven as it exists in the present as paradise. Okay, paradise is, is better than here. I mean, right? You could say par- there are uh, paradises, right? Uh, is that the plural of paradise? I don't even know. Uh, but uh, paradise here on earth, but really those, the, those things are broken. They're distorted by sin. Paradise is a place that is better than what we have now. So we can look to the present heaven and expect that if we were to die today, it's a place where we'd want to go. It's a good place. It's paradise. He tells the thief that you will be in paradise with me. What about Philippians 1.23? Let's go over there. Philippians 1.23. What does Paul have to say about heaven as it exists now? So to be with Christ in heaven, in the present heaven now, is far better. Uh, I like uh, the New American Standard. It says very much better. So that, that, that emphasis, I like it. It's very much better to be in heaven with Christ than to be here on earth. Right? So it, again, it, it's a place that is um, better than what we are experiencing now. Look at uh, Revelation 21. 21, 1 and 2. Someone read those two verses. Okay. So the present heaven that we talked about in the last two verses is paradise. It's it's very much better. It's far better than life now, but Heaven will change. Heaven will change. The present heaven is not the final goal of our salvation. That's the first sentence there and you're, you're blank. But the present heaven is not the final goal of our salvation. To believe what the Bible says about heaven, we must believe that heaven will change. The new Jerusalem will come down to this earth, to, to the new earth, that is. Come down to the new earth. So heaven will change. And so I think our thoughts are inhibited. They're, uh, they're short-sighted, if you will. When we're thinking about heaven, our thoughts are short-sighted. We stop at heaven as it exists now. I'm going, I'm going to die. We, we think, well, I'll uh, either you know, die in a car wreck or something like that, or I'll live a long life, and I'll die, and I'll go to be with Christ in heaven. And it'll be good. It'll be great. It'll be paradise. It'll be very much better. 
And that's kind of where our minds stop a lot of times when we're thinking about heaven. But it's short because the future has a new heaven, a new earth, right? Um, a, cr- a new creation that God is going to make so that we can enjoy him in a perfect place, so that his plan of redemption is fully fulfilled. Is that redundant, Damon? Fully fulfilled. I'm just going to say it, okay? That's me being emphatic. It's going to be fully fulfilled, all right? Um, because the curse, or uh, let's, let's ask a question from a Christmas hymn. How far is the curse found? How far is the curse found? The curse of sin. Wayne? Through all of creation. We, yes, uh, we have been affected by sin. We're born into sin. We have sinful hearts, sinful natures. Um, But this world, even though it's beautiful, is scarred by sin, distorted by sin. And so for his plan of redemption, God's plan of redemption to be um, accomplished fully, it must create or recreate this earth because it too has been marred by sin. And so we need to look forward to what heaven will be like then. Okay, uh, Our minds shouldn't stop at, I'm going to die and go to heaven, but oh, the resurrection. The resurrection of my body. I'll have a new resurrection body, but also the world will be resurrected. It will be brand new. Theologians call the present heaven the intermediate state. Okay, The intermediate state. That's uh, heaven right now, but it's not the final heaven. We've got to believe that. We've got to look beyond it. If the current heaven is all we're looking forward to, then we're missing out on the joyful anticipation of the completion of our salvation. Okay? We're missing out on the, the, uh, the full joy of anticipating heaven. This includes the total defeat of God's enemies, right? All God's enemies. Um, it is a new heaven and a new earth that are undistorted by sin. It means our new resurrection bodies and a shared reign with Jesus. A shared rule with Jesus. There's a lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. So let's talk about some of the characteristics of the present heaven as it, it exists now. Turn to Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. You guys are doing a good job of just jumping on the verses today. I'm liking that, you know, so we don't waste any time. Who would like to read that one? Made what? Perfect. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. From this verse and other verses, we can deduce that heaven is a perfect place. We will be perfect there. If if I die today, I will go to heaven. I will be perfect there. It's a place of perfection. Christ is perfect. He is there. God is perfect, right? This is a trait that is shared with the future heaven, okay? If you look at your blanks there, a trait shared with the future heaven is that heaven is perfect right now. And and this, this reality can hardly be imagined, can it? It can hardly be imagined because sin is, is lurking in our hearts and Satan is... He is as a roaring lion, prowling, seeking to destroy who he may. 
So sin is lurking in our hearts, and it's lurking around every corner in this world, so it's hard for us to imagine that heaven is a completely perfect place. We, we should try to imagine that, but it's difficult because sin is everywhere. Sin is everywhere. Listen to this quote. And this is a, thank you, Dan. Dan recommended, uh, Dan DePew recommended The Saints Everlasting Rest to me last week, and I bought it on Kindle for 95 cents. And so I was doing some reading in The Saints Everlasting Rest this week. There's a great quote about uh, heaven from Richard Baxter, the Puritan. This is what he says. Every sense and member is a snare. Every creature, every mercy, and every duty is a snare to us. What's a snare? Trap. There you go. It's a trap to us. Speaking of life here on earth. We can scarce open our eyes, but we are in danger of envying those above us or despising those, those below us of coveting the honor and riches of some, or beholding the rags and beggary of others with pride and unmercifulness. If we see beauty, it is a bait to lust. If deformity, to loathing and disdain. How soon do slanderous reports, vain jests, and wanton speeches creep into the heart? How strong is the temptation to abuse our trust, make our will our law, and mold all the enjoyments of others by the rules and model of our own interest and policy. This is our comfort. Our rest will free us from all these. As Satan hath no entrance there, that is heaven, so he has nothing to serve his malice. But all things there shall join in the high praises of our great deliverer. Sin is mixed in our hearts. You know, is there anything that I do that is perfect here on earth? No. I love that quote. I use it often of, uh, I haven't read his book, right, John Bunyan. <laughs> but I just quote, I haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, but this is a great quote by, uh, by John Bunyan. He said, yeah, you laughing about that? Who? Matt. Matt is. Matt is. I hear him laughing. He's chuckling. He's always chuckling at me. Um, he says this. There is more sin in my best prayer. Uh, there's enough sin in my best prayer to condemn the whole world. He understood his heart. He understood that even the, the good things that he does, even, the way, uh, even when he pleases the Lord, there's sin mixed in there somewhere. Even in his best prayer, there's enough sin to condemn the whole world. He understood his heart, and he understood his need for a redeemer, and therefore he could appreciate that redeemer and appreciate heaven because he looks forward to it. But sin is here. It's hard to imagine it being free of sin, but heaven is a perfect place. Okay, what about Revelation 4? Still thinking of the present heaven. Revelation 4, verses 8 and 11. So, what's happening in the present heaven? What's going on there? Worship. Worship. It's perfect, and there's worship. It says, it says, um, I'm trying to find the verse here. Yeah, verse 8. Day and night, they never cease to say. Day and night, they never cease to say. There's worship of the deliverer, the holy one, the lamb. So, worship. Um, let's think about this for a moment. 
if we think that worship, we think about singing praises to God here in the worship service on Sunday mornings, if you think that that is boring now, it's only because your sinful heart and limited understanding are keeping you from recognizing the fullness of the glory and majesty of God. If we find it boring to go stand in there and sing the praises of our great Redeemer, it's because we're here on earth. We have sin in our hearts, and we have these minds that are limited. They're finite. They can't drink deeply of the fullness of the glory of God. But that will not be so in heaven. That will not be so in heaven. In heaven, we will take it all in. We'll have the capacity to take it in and to respond in perfect worship. Isn't that amazing? We, if you think that, that worship is boring in there sometimes, it will not be that way in heaven because you will be able to drink deeply and perfectly of your creator and your deliverer. So if you didn't get those blanks there, it's uh, your sinful heart and limited understanding are keeping you from recognizing the fullness of God's glory and majesty. This is not true of the saints that are in the present heaven. They recognize who he is, and they respond in perfect worship. Standing in Revelation here, another characteristic of the present heaven, Revelation 14, 13. Someone read that for us, please. So in the present heaven, there is rest. There is rest there. Some of the, <laughs> I've heard some of the moms around here say, yeah, they have little children, you know, they're doing homeschooling, they're, they're hoofing it, being mom, I mean, being a mom is so hard. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I assume when I get home from, uh, from work here at the office that my wife has had a harder day than me. And I've heard some of the, the moms say, you know what, I'll rest in heaven. <laughs> you know, I'll rest when I get there. Uh, there'll be perfect rest for me. Um, we will no longer have to work against sin and its effects in heaven. We'll never have to. Uh, will there be work? Yes, there'll be work. I mean, uh, there's, uh, work was, was there before the fall, wasn't it? Work was there in the garden. Adam was working. He was, he was uh, cultivating the garden. But it wasn't hard work. It was enjoyable work. And there'll be work, especially when you consider that we're going to be on a new earth. And now I'm thinking about future heaven. There'll be work, but there's going to be perfect rest. We're not going to have to work against sin and its effects. Uh, I mean, we fight temptation daily, don't we? I mean, hourly. I, I was th this week just thinking about how temptation hits me. You know, every single hour, I'm, I'm battling something, some kind of pride in my heart, right? Some desire for some inordinate thing. You know, I'm, I'm battling that. And it's, you know, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, but it won't be in heaven. That, that fight won't be there. Now, so when you, when you get weary, I mean, this is something to remember. When you get weary from fighting the battle against sin and its effects here on earth, just remember, because of Jesus Christ, that won't be a reality for you forever. 
and let that thought propel you to keep fighting the fight today, right? There won't be the fight. The fight will be over one day. So let me fight today for his glory because he was so wonderful as to give me this privilege freely through Jesus Christ. So think about this in terms of our struggle. It's not going to be against Satan and his demons. They'll be defeated. They are defeated now, but in heaven, they can't, they can't enter there. Not against other sinners, right? All the people that are going to be there, they're going to be perfect too, right? I mean, think, of, think of all of um, the conflict that you have had with people in your life. Even if you're, you're not a confrontational person, think of the conflict you've had with people in your life. Brothers, sisters, family members, uh, people that have uh, wronged you in life, right? People that annoy you in life. And the conflict that exists there, not going to happen. Relationships there are perfect. We, we are the body of Christ. And there, there will not be any petty arguments. There won't be any sinning against each other, backbiting, slander, gossip. Be gone. We won't have a struggle against our hearts. We sin because we have sinful hearts, right? We sin because we're sinners, but those hearts will no longer be mixed with sin. And we won't have to fight and struggle against this sin-scarred earth any longer in the present heaven. Let's, uh, last characteristic here under number two for the present heaven, Revelation 6.10. We'll read that. Who, who are talking? Who are the people that are talking there? Martyrs, right? Um, martyrs. And they are waiting. It's the last characteristic of the present heaven. They are waiting. What are they waiting for in this verse? Justice, right? For God to avenge their blood, those who uh, murdered them because of Jesus Christ. They're waiting. They're waiting for the the end when um, the enemies of Christ will be made his footstool, right? That's what what they're looking forward to. So the, the saints in heaven are also looking forward to the completion of their salvation, right? The saints in heaven are looking forward to the completion of their salvation. But look at this. Um, Just in addition, if you turn to Hebrews 10, just so you think I'm not, you know, pulling stuff, you know, creating doctrine based on one verse, right? It's not good hermeneutics. Hebrews 10, 12 and 13. Someone read that for us. Jesus is even waiting, right? Jesus is in heaven, and he is waiting. He is waiting for that time when um, he will rule in in perfection, when he will return, when his enemies will be that footstool under his feet, when he will rule perfectly and completely on the new earth. So even Christ is waiting. 
Okay, um, so we're going to get in some more detail here. Uh, this comes, this next section, number three, comes from um, the book, Heaven, that I told you about, Randy Alcorn, just finding that to be an excellent resource. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but it continues to be um, helpful for me as I think about Heaven and as I um, write these lessons. So turn with me to that same passage we just um, um, we just quoted or just read. That's Revelation 6, 9 through 11. What is life like in the present heaven? Okay, we had those four characteristics, but now we're going to get some, into some more details here. Present heaven, what is it like? Um, someone read those three verses for us, and then we'll get into discussing them. So the response of these martyrs in heaven helps us fill in some of the blanks of life in the present heaven. So look at verse 10 with me. They, it says, verse 10 says, they cried out with a loud voice. Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice. So um, what does that suggest? What do you think? They cried out with a loud voice. What does that suggest about these martyrs that are presently in heaven? What does the the word cry out or the term cry out suggest to you? Who said? Emotion. Yes. Emotion. There there is emotion in heaven. There is uh, communication and emotion in the present heaven. They're crying out to God. So uh, that's helpful, isn't it? We, we tend to think that uh, if we're not careful, if we're just kind of uh, picturing heaven passively, we might think of it as a kind of a very sterile, very white, very clean, emotionless place, right? If everything's white and sterile, then, then so are people's hearts and, and their attitudes and their countenances, right? No, that's not the case. There is emotion there. They're crying out to God, avenge our blood, God. We were murdered for you. So that helps clarify some things. Keep, we're still looking here. I'm sorry, you say? What do you mean by free will? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. And, they're, and we'll look at this in a minute, but they are individual people. Um, and they are, this is coming from their hearts. Their hearts are perfect. Uh, but it doesn't mean that their hearts can't show emotion that is uh, perfect, that is um, that emotion that glorifies God there perfectly. Right, we don't lose our personhood, our individuality. I, I would agree with that, yes, yes. Good point, Rick. Um, it says also, um, they cried out in a, a loud voice. Not loud voices. And a loud voice, not loud voices. Why? What does that suggest? 
Yes, yes, there's, there's harmony. There's, there's unity in heaven. It uh, doesn't mean that they're not individuals. They are individuals, but uh, there is, they're all intent on one purpose, right? The glory of God. They are all there, perfect. There's, there's not different agendas that are clashing in heaven. They're unified. Yeah, sorry, so, yes, Joseph. That's right. Absolutely. You know, you look at um, Ephesians 3 and 4. We are one, right? There's one salvation. There's one baptism, one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Yes, Sean. That's right. There is that waiting, right? There, there's that anticipation of the, the reconciliation. There's still some of that reconciliation that hasn't taken place, right? Because there's still sin on the earth, right? God's plan of redemption hasn't come to its fulfillment yet. Good point. Yes, absolutely. They're still waiting. They're unified as they wait. Um, and they ask, what's the question they ask? What question do they ask? How long? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood? So they're asking a question, right? They're asking a question. Um, they're asking a question of God. So we should believe they have an audience with God, right? Isn't that great? I mean, they, the, the God of creation, the God of the universe, the God of their salvation, they have an audience with this God. He loves them. There's a relationship there. It's not like he's um, over in some kind of white palace, you know, doing his thing, and we're over here doing our thing if we're in heaven right now. Now, that, that's not the way it works. They're, they have an audience with God. There is a relationship there. Okay? Um, they, they ask him a question. So what does that also suggest? Not just that they have an audience with God. They're asking him that question. But what, what does the fact that they're asking a question in the first place suggest? Yes. Yes. Their, their knowledge is not perfect. They don't know everything that there is to know. If they knew everything there, there was to know, what would that be? How, what would we say of them then? If they knew everything that there was to know, they would be omniscient. But that is reserved for God alone, right? Just because we're in heaven doesn't mean we're going to know everything that there is to know. God is still going to be great. God is still going to be greater than us. He's still going to be more glorious, right, than us. We will be perfect, but it doesn't mean we'll be God. So they have to, they're asking questions of God. They don't know everything that there is to know. Therefore, they have to ask him questions. Okay. Now, in verse 10 also, keep looking with me there. It, they ask the question, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Okay. So they know something about what's going on down on earth, don't they? It's, uh, it's not like they are disinterested, right? That they, they don't know what's going, down, going on down on earth. That they, they, know, they know what's going on down on earth to a certain degree, and uh, they care about what's going on down there to a certain degree, right? So um, looking with me here, the saints there know what's happening on earth because they're asking about those people that have not yet been martyred, or I'm sorry, uh, been uh, judged, or had justice rained down upon them. 
And then right after that, the saints there are concerned with what is happening on earth. They're concerned about it. They have not adopted a passive disinterest. Why do you think that's important? They're not disconnected, right? Um, certainly, uh, heaven is perfect. Certainly, uh, heaven is a place where uh, we, we want to go, and, and uh, it's not a place where sin exists at all. But it doesn't mean that uh, there's, there is no sight from heaven down to earth so that they know what is taking place. And uh, look at this. Thinking of these martyrs again, they have a passionate sense of justice. Their sense of justice hasn't decreased because they came, became perfect, right? They went to heaven, and it's a perfect place, and their sense of justice actually seems to increase. They have this passionate sense of justice, a, a perfected sense of justice in heaven. And they also remember enough about their lives on earth to know that they were murdered, right? So again, just knowledge about what's going on down on earth. They, have, they know enough about their lives on earth to know that they were murdered. So they remember. They remember their lives to a certain degree, don't they? It's not that we forget everything that happened down here on earth. We, we will remember, at least to a certain point, our lives that took place here. And like we were talking about earlier, if you look at verse 11 with me, they were each given a white robe. This suggests individuality. Right? The saints there are specific individuals. They are communally the bride of Christ, but this doesn't mean that they are not distinct from one another. Right? They are the bride of Christ. There is unity. They're crying out in one voice to God asking this question, but they're also given these white robes, individuals. And also, this, uh, this is great, I think, there's a realization of the strong familial bond between them and the Christians on earth because in verse 11, this is what John writes, um, they say to God, um, they, they call us, the Christians that are here on the earth, fellow servants and brothers. They call the other Christians that are on earth at that present time fellow servants, brothers. So they understand that... Um, there are those who are part of their body that they're not yet joined with. Isn't that amazing? They understand there's, there is a body uh, that is not complete here in heaven. Yes, we, we share the unity with these brothers here in heaven that have already died in Christ, but there are those who have not yet come here. We are a body with them as well. They're our fellow servants and brothers. And as we've said already, verse 11 says they must wait for a future fulfillment. God tells them, wait a little longer. Wait a little longer. They must wait for a future fulfillment. So there's waiting that's going on. Absolutely. Yes, sir.
It is incredible. Um, he's he's not this deistic God, you know. That's you know he's out. Uh, he's he's done his thing. He kind of he came. He created this world. And he left us to ourselves. You know, and in heaven, uh, that kind of distance is not going to exist. We have an audience with him. We're talking to him. We're worshiping him. Absolutely. And the reason why we can have that audience with him is because Jesus Christ uh, made a way, made us a way to God. And so um, you think about the doctrine of reconciliation uh, in the gospel, that uh, those who come to Christ uh, by faith have been reconciled to God. We're no longer his enemies, but we are his, his friends, his sons, his daughters, right? Uh, and we have access to him now through Jesus Christ. We, we can pray to him anytime we want to. We can worship him. We can, uh, as Hebrews says, we can draw near to the throne of grace in time of need, right, to find mercy. And then go to heaven and not have that? Yes, of course we will. We'll, we'll, we'll go to heaven and we'll have that same relationship, but it'll be amplified. It'll be perfect. It'll be without sin. You know, so if we have access to him now through Jesus Christ, just think of the access we have to him in heaven when there's no sin. It's beautiful. That's a good point. Thank you. Okay. We're running out of time here. Uh, let's go to number four. Still thinking about how the present heaven is waiting for the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. If it is waiting for the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan, does that mean the present heaven is not perfect? You may say, doesn't perfection mean that the saints in heaven should be completely satisfied? What do you think? What do you say to that? Does it mean because they're waiting, because they're not, they're not fully satisfied that heaven right now as it exists is not completely perfect? Or it's not perfect? There you go. Absolutely. It just has to be without sin. Um, and so it, if you're thinking of heaven being perfect in the sense that it must be completely fulfilled in terms of God's plan of redemption. It's not perfect in that sense, but it is perfect in the sense that there is no sin there. There is no sin there. So we, we've got to def, you know, just define your terms. It's not perfect in the sense that uh, it's everything that it's going to be, that people aren't waiting there, aren't, aren't looking forward in anticipation of, of things becoming even better. The saints in heaven are looking forward to a future where things are going to be even better, but it doesn't mean things are not perfect there now because there is no sin, but there's going to be fulfillment. And so the, even they look forward to. We look forward uh, to that future fulfillment, and they are looking forward to that future fulfillment. Isn't that great? That even if we were to die and go to heaven now, it, it gets better. I mean, think about that. If, we, if I die today and I go to heaven, I'm still looking forward to it getting better than it already is in perfect heaven without sin. Looking forward to the new heaven, the new earth. I'm looking forward to uh, ruling with Christ. I'm looking forward to my resurrection body. It's great. So it's not as good as it gets, even if we were to go there today. Okay. Number five. This is just a, a thought. Um, and we can discuss this, and this may be a, a little bit of speculation, but let's ask the question. Is there sadness in the present heaven? Dealing with this text of Scripture we looked at in Revelation 6 and other um, texts, is there sadness in the present heaven? Who wants to throw out some options? 
sad for those who still remain on earth. Okay? Anybody else have some ideas? And that's true? Yes, Mary. If there, um, hmm. if there's joy, there cannot be sadness. That's, that's interesting. I, um, hmm. If there's joy, there can't be sadness. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you, you may, but I, I think of a verse um, in First Thessalonians where Paul is talking to Thessalonians about those who have already fallen asleep, meaning they're they're already dead, and uh, he says. Do not grieve as those who have no hope because basically they're going to rise. They're going to be resurrected someday, right? And so they can, uh, they can have hope. And so he says, grieve as those who do not have hope. That may suggest that there can be joy and some grief taking place at the same time. Perhaps. Someone, yes. There you go. There you go. Now, the look with me at Revelation 21, verse 4. This is the verse that is quoted concerning heaven to say that there is no sadness there. Verse 4, 21, 4, Revelation 21, 4. He, that is God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So, when is this taking place? Yeah, this is in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, in the new heaven and the new earth, um, will there be any sin whatsoever? Anywhere? No, there won't be any sin anywhere uh, the enemies of God will be destroyed. They'll, they'll be defeated. They'll be in the lake of fire, right? And so on the new heaven and the new earth, there, there's not going to be Satan who's prowling around. There's not going to be um, sin that's in the hearts of people. It's going to be perfect. Perfection everywhere, right? There's, yeah, obviously, in the lake of fire, there will be God's enemies. In hell, there will be God's enemies. But we're talking about no earth in which there are people sinning any longer. Okay, so we have to realize that Revelation twenty-one four—that's the one we quote, saying that there's no sadness, but that's not referring to the present heaven. Okay, um, there is still—if you're looking at B here—I I said A. We're told Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes after the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. B. There is still reason to be sad in the present world because of the sin which is being performed on earth, which is what Colleen was saying. There's, there's still sad things being done. There, there's still the effects of sin. Um, and even when you think about those martyrs, they, they were crying out, avenge our blood. When, when will our blood be avenged, God? And there seems to be some, um, a little bit of desperation there, uh, so, some emotion there in what they're saying. You know, they want that justice. They're craving that justice. And they're you, it may even be said that there could be some sadness in their voices that that justice hasn't been brought at this present time. Perhaps. What about Jesus? Did Jesus, when he was on earth, did he experience any sorrow? Examples. 
Lazarus died, right? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That's right. There was sorrow. There was sorrow and sadness, yet Jesus was perfect, right? Tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He was perfect. So uh, he felt sorrow as a perfect man. So you can't say, well, yeah, there's no sadness in heaven right now because there's perfection. Well, Jesus was perfect, yet he still showed the emotion of sadness. That's a good question that um, Randy Alcorn brought up. D here. Does going to heaven decrease our compassion? Does going to heaven decrease our compassion? Uh, we would, I think, argue that going to heaven would increase our compassion for the saints that are here on earth, increase our compassion for what they are having to go through because of the sin that exists in this world. And so these are all things that suggest um, that in heaven right now, there may be sadness that's existing. And if there may be sadness that's existing in heaven right now, it's just another reason to look beyond the present heaven to the new heaven and the new earth and have that propel you into holiness today, right? Because that's something to look forward to. In in the heaven that exists right now, it's a good argument to say that there is sadness. But then you look beyond that to the new heaven and the new earth, and there will be no sadness because he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, from our eyes, right? We cannot allow our minds and hearts, I'm just saying this in closing, we cannot allow our minds and our hearts to stop at the present heaven. This will stunt our spiritual growth. It will inhibit us from more devoted service and worship. um, We're going to be talking uh, the the next two weeks about the new heaven and the new earth. Next week, uh, we're going to pick up our discussion with what will it mean that the curse will be lifted? What, what will it be like in the new heaven and the new earth knowing that the curse will be completely lifted, that uh, God's plan of redemption will be fulfilled? Okay, so look forward to that. Uh, if you need to get last week's um, message to catch up, it's online. Okay, very good. Damon, will you close this, sir?